This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. This is the Relic Radio Show, 60 minutes of radio drama every Tuesday at RelicRadio.com. Our first story this week comes from the Blue Beetle. We'll hear Spirits Don't Talk from June 14, 1940. After that, it's the Damon Runyon Theater and Blonde Mink. That story originally aired January 23rd, 1949. The Blue Beetle. Weeping down upon the underworld of Smash Ganglin comes... The mysterious, all-powerful character who is a problem to the police, but a crusader for law. In reality, Dan Garrett, a rookie patrolman, loved by everyone, but suspected by none of being the Blue Beetle. As the Blue Beetle, he hides behind a strange mask and a suit of impenetrable blue chain armor, flexible as silk, but stronger than steel. Today's episode of the Blue Beetle is entitled, Spirit Don't Talk. In every city and small town throughout the country, there are certain individuals who claim to have supernatural powers, mediums who claim that through them, the dead speak. Only a few have firmly believed in their supernatural power and endeavored to use it for good. Even they have been exploited for dishonest purposes by unscrupulous individuals and groups of individuals. As our story opens, Patrolman Dan Garrett, who in secret is really the Blue Beetle, is discussing the fortune-telling racket with his friend and confidant, Dr. Brown. Tell me, Danny, why is it the district attorney hasn't done something about this situation? Well, in the first place, it's hard to get witnesses to testify against these fortune-tellers and mediums. In the second place, what can witnesses testify to? Why, uh, why, uh, that they were told that the... They'd take an ocean voyage or meet a blonde man who would be the great love of their life? Can't put anybody in jail for that. No, I suppose not. That isn't a part of this racket that causes the police and the district attorney concern. Oh, what does? You see, when a person starts going to fortune tellers, he or she is a marked man or woman. He or she is registered, as it were, by a great ring. Registered? Ring? Yes, everything about the clients is noted by the fortune teller. Assistance notes the wearing apparel, its quality, style, where purchased, and so on. Traits of character are studied, weighed, and measured. Clients are urged to talk about themselves. If possible, names and addresses are secured. All this information goes into a central bureau to be tabulated and cross-indexed for future reference. Well, bless my soul. I had no idea such an elaborate system existed. Sure, there's a regular ring that controls the racket. Well, what about spiritualism and mediums? Are these so-called mediums part of this racket? Well, most of them. They constitute the most dangerous part of the racket. Well, how do you mean? Well, when they get hold of a client, some susceptible individual who believes it's 
possible to talk to the loved ones who've died, they work on that individual's mind, influence that individual to commit acts he or she would never think of committing if left alone. What's the connection between fortune tellers and mediums? The fortune tellers pick out easy marks. And if considered worthwhile material to work on, they're inveigled into visiting a spiritualist or urged to sit in on a seance. My, my, my. People are so gullible. Yes, they are. They have to be protected from themselves. Uh, somebody's in the store. Uh, I'll be back in a minute. Probably Mike Manigan. If it is, send him back. Uh, hello, Doc. Is Danny the daredevil dude patrolling this beat? <laughs> yes, Danny's back in the laboratory. Uh, probably <laughs> cooking up a witch's brew of some sort. Uh, you mind if I go in? Oh, no, no. Go right back, Officer Manigan. Hello, Mike. Uh, hello, Danny. <laughs> Are you ready to visit the mediums? Ready and waiting. Hey, you look very smart in your civvies. Yeah, I, I think your advice was good. They'll never suspect we're cops in these clothes. I don't know about that. My windblown barb and your red face. You don't look like bookkeepers. Well, where are you two boys going? To uh, a, a seance. <laughs> you mean seance, Doctor? Yeah, <laughs> we're going to talk with the dead. Uh, who's the medium? Well, he calls himself Professor Windrip. And where's the seance being held? Windrip's house out on Elm Street. You know, that old place that sits back from the street? Yes, yes, I know it. Uh, people used to say it was haunted. That's the place. Well, uh, come on, patrolman Garrett. Uh, uh, pardon me, uh, Mr. Garrett. You go ahead, Mike. I want to ask Doc something. I'll be with you in a minute. Okay, I, I'll wait out front for you. Say, Doc, can I borrow your X-ray camera with a special infrared lens? Oh, certainly, Danny. I'll get it for you. Just a minute. Now, what, what can I carry it in? Oh, here. It's quite flat. Here, here it is. Uh, put it in this briefcase. Oh, thanks, Doc. I'll see you later. If the spirits don't get me. In another part of the city, an interesting discussion is being held. Banker James Henley is talking with his son, John, and his nephew, William. I want you, John, and you, William, to accompany me to the seance, Professor Windrip. May you be able to communicate with my my dead son, Rodney. Oh, Dad, it's all a fake. This spiritualism and mediums and such stuff. I don't believe Professor Windrip or anybody else can communicate with the dead. Well, I do. You only have to take one look at the professor to know that he's unusual. He has that faraway expression that psychic people have. Oh, nonsense. Uh, William is right, John. Professor Windrip is gifted beyond most mortals. I'm sure he will be able to communicate with my elder son who was killed in Spain. Uh, perhaps Rodney will be able to advise me in my financial affairs. He was always so right about things. I'm getting old, and I need his advice. Yes, and I'm sure his advice will still be good, Uncle James. Yes, William. I'm glad you have the right attitude toward these things. Well, let's get started to the seance. The sooner we get there, the sooner it will be over. Who's going to be out at Windrip's place, Danny? Not sure. Charlie Storm and his son told me that Banker Henley's a frequenter of Windrip's seances. Well, how, uh, how are we going to get in there? Charlie got me two cards from a girlfriend of his. 
with a hostess in one of those gypsy tea rooms. Do you think they'll suspect us? I don't know, but let me do the talking. You just keep still and look psychic. And how does a guy look when he looks psychic? You just stare straight at everything and everybody. Just as if you were looking through them at the immortal spheres. That's the way I look when I've been hit on the head. Well, I'll, I'll talk you one before we go in, if that'll help. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> I can look psychic without your help. <laughs> okay. That's the house ahead. Yeah, it's a pleasant-looking spot for a murder. Are you healed? No, I didn't bring a gun. Well, I did. And if any goes to depart a spirit, that's gay with me. I'm going to use it. Well, here we are. Come on, Mike, and remember to look psychic. Okay, Danny. Good evening. All you expected? We have card. Very good. Can you come in, please? The seance is about to begin. Thank you. Uh, who are these gentlemen, Gerke? They have caught, sir. Are you Professor Windrup? Yes, I am. Uh, this is Mr. Michael P. Manigan, and I'm Mr. Van Norden Garrett. We were recommended to you by the Gypsy Tea Room. My friend here is psychic. Oh, I see. Well, uh, come in, gentlemen. They're right in here. Uh, this is Mr. James Henley, the banker. His son, John, and his nephew, William, Mr. Manigan, uh, and Mr. Garrett. Pleased to meet you. Now, will you all take seats, please? You and Mr. Manigan sit here, Mr. Garrett. Thank you. We sit in a circle and hold hands. Uh, Mr. Henley, you sit here on my left, between Mr. Garrett and me. John, you sit on my right. And William, you sit next to your cousin John, between him and Mr. Manigan. Here we are. This is a lot of poppycock. Uh, John, John, be quiet. If you don't want to sit in, leave the room. Oh, all right, Father. I'll keep quiet. I'm afraid your son is not in a receptive mood, Mr. Henley. No, he'll be all right, Professor. He's young, that's all. Yes. Now, we'll each take the hand of the persons on either side of us. And I'll put the lights out with this switch in the floor at my feet. Quiet, everybody. Relax. Banish thoughts of this mundane world. And let your minds wander out into the infinite. What was that sound? My teeth chattering. Is that you, Rodney, my son? Yes, father. Your son who was killed in Spain. Speak to me. Speak to me. Rodney, are you well? I cannot rest. A heavy burden lies on my soul. What is the burden on your soul, Rodney? My brother John does not love you. Only William loves you. That's a lie. William is a crook. This seance is... Light. Switch on those lights. What happened? John. John. What's wrong? We're lying. What, what, what happened? What happened? Here? Oh, look. Look, my son, John. They're on the floor. Stand back, everybody. Manigan, cover those exits. Hmm. He's dead, all right. Stabbed in the back. Wait a minute. What is this? Who are you to give orders in my house? Coleman Van Garrett. My psychic friend is Officer Manigan. And if anybody attempts to leave this room, this gun of mine will speak. And it won't be a psychic message either. Call headquarters, Danny. 
This is a case of murder. An hour later, back at the little apothecary shop of Dr. Franz, Dan Garrett and Dr. Franz are examining two photographs which have just been developed. Now, Doc, mm-hmm. this is the first one I snapped with the X-ray camera. It shows the interior of the room where the seance was held. Uh, uh, what, uh, what's that dark spot there on the wall? Where? Oh. Hmm. That looks like a, like a loudspeaker behind a large painting. Uh, that's probably where the voice came from that old man Henley thought was the voice of his dead son, Rodney. Yeah. He was the old man's favorite son. He volunteered to fight in Spain and was killed in battle. Uh, let's, uh, let's see the other photograph. Yeah, right. I took this one just as John said. This is a lie. Shows the group seated in a circle. Look. Uh, uh, look there. It's the murderer. His hand is clutching the dagger raised to strike. It even shows the cotton he wrapped around the hilt to avoid leaving fingerprints. This photograph alone will convict the murderer of John Henley. Are you going to phone police headquarters to hold no. If they hold him, we may not be able to run the higher-ups in the racket there. Oh, then you think the murderer of John Henley was not the top man? Oh, no. He was just part of the ring. The brains of the racket are higher up. But they should have realized that John Henley's death would bring down the police on their necks. Somebody made a miscue there. I don't think the ring planned John's death. What do you think their plan was? Simply to use a dead son Rodney's fake voice to work on the old man and influence him to let his... Nephew William advise him, and in time persuade him to make William his heir. But why? William is probably being used by this gang of racketeers. The old man should die, leaving his vast fortune to William, and William would be blackmailed into coming across with a large sum of money to the racketeers. Oh, what devilish things evil minds can think up. Yes. Oh, by the way, Doc, put those negatives in a safe place. Uh, they'll be safe with me, Danny. All right. Well... The Blue Beetle is going into action on this gang of crooked buzzards. What are you going to do? The Blue Beetle is paying several visits tonight. Before another day dawns, the spiritualist racket will be smashed. Who is the murderer of John Henley? What will the Blue Beetle discover at Professor Windrup's residence? Whose warped mind is behind all these fiendish schemes to prey upon honest but superstitious and ignorant persons? Off through the night speeds the Blue Beetle in his crusade against crime. In another part of the city, a man is issuing orders to his subordinates. A dark, sinister-looking man whose tight-lipped smile has no mirth in it. His business is creating spirits. Spirits of those who have departed. Joe, that last batch of cloth you bought me was certainly cheesy. My old nightshirt would make better ectoplasm than that junk. Yeah, but you see, boss... Never mind the alibis. Trade it in and get something thinner. Bark. Yes, sir. You still recording famous voices off the air? Yes, sir. Okay. Be my secretary and get a list of the 400 best families. Yes, sir. Call on them one at a time. See if you can sell them the idea of having each voice in the family recorded as a memento for their relatives after they pass on. <laughs> 
Make copies of each. We can use them in our seances. I'll do it right away, sir. Good. And as you go out, tell Sweeney and maintenance to order two dozen more loudspeaker sets through my radio stores. Fifty dozen crystal balls and 75 cases of playing cards. Right away, sir. Did you send for me, Chief? Yes. Now look, my apple-cheeked little trigger man. Professor Windrip phoned me that he has reason to suspect that some photographs were taken at his seance tonight by Patrolman Dan Garrett. The negatives may still be in his possession. Or they may be in the possession of Dr. Franz that runs that little apothecary shop. I want those photographs. Okay, Chief, I'll get them. If you meet with resistance, let your conscience be your guide. I got you, Chief. My trigger finger's awful nervous tonight. It must be the weather. The professor calling, L.G. Show him in. Oh, hello, L.G. This is certainly a terrible state of affairs. When did the cops release you? Just now. Someone bailed us all out, and I came right to you. I'll bet you left a trail a mile wide. No. I changed trains three times in the subway, walked through Ralph's department store, and then took a taxi here. Good. Well, what do you advise me to do? My business is ruined. Your business? <laughs> you should have thought of that before you killed John Henley. I killed him? You mean William? I mean you. William wouldn't have the nerve. But William hated his cousin. He was sitting right next to him. And so were you. What makes you think so? A little bird told me. I've got spies down at police headquarters. They heard the questioning of your people by the police. Oh. Yes. Oh. They said you were playing up to old man Henley. Well, Now, I'm... say, you aren't figuring on trying to double-cross me on this, are you? Why, no, LG, I assure you. You'd better not if you know what's good for you. Now, what about those two policemen, Manigan and Garrett? They'll be taken care of. When the case comes up for trial... They won't be there to testify. Yes, but the photographs. I'm sure I heard the click of a camera during the seance. They're almost dark, wasn't it? Pitch black. Okay. And you don't have to worry. I'll leave everything to me. What do you think I'd better do now? Go out to your place and play dumb. I'll be out there later, as soon as I've had a talk with William Henley. He'll probably spend a few days on his uncle's yacht. In the meantime, I've got my men guarding everybody concerned. I imagine the Blue Beetle will stick his nose into this. And if he does, it'll be just too bad for Mr. Blue Beetle. I don't think you killed your cousin John. I didn't. I swear I didn't. Well, okay. Now, you just take it easy. Lay up to your uncle and you'll be the white-haired boy. He always believed anything his son Rodney told him. But this murder, what about that? We're we... going to let Professor Windrip take the rap. He's all washed up with us. I see. Later, you will introduce your uncle to another medium. and We'll go to work on him again. In your favor. You'll be his heir. Yes, but he may live a long time, and I need money now. My creditors are hounding now, me, and I now, can't wait. Now, take it easy. Take it easy. Just as soon as he makes a will in your favor, he'll meet with an accident. You mean... He'll what? be talking with his dead son, Rodney, direct. 
Very clever scheme, but it won't work. The Blue, Blue Beetle. Beetle. Yes, the Blue Beetle, and he's going to nip. Shall I let him have it, LG? Kill him. Go ahead, shoot. Your bullets can't injure the Blue Beetle. But this belaying pin will. Good work, Gus. Good work. You throw a mean belaying pin. He's off like a light. What'll I do with him? Tie him up. Weight his body with an anchor and toss him overboard. Okay, LG. Well, Mr. Blue Beetle, you're gone for a nice swim. And you ain't coming back. Say, aren't you a, a bit ruthless, LG? In my racket, you have to be. Now, you be a good boy and we'll all be rich. Well, what are you going to do now? I'm going ashore. Professor Windrip is going to have a caller and get a big surprise. All right, Gherkin. I'm going to get some sleep. This has been a very trying evening. Yes, sir. Very good, sir. Did you dismantle and hide the phonograph equipment and records? Yes, sir. Everything's been taken care of. Uh, will you be sleeping late in the morning, sir? Yes, Gherkin. Uh, call me about noon. Uh, very good, sir. But... Good heavens. Who can that be at this time of night? Well, I'll see, sir. It may be Mr. L.G., as you call him. Uh, good evening, sir. The, the master's just retiring. Well, he'll uh, see me. Oh. Oh, there you are. Oh, yes. Uh, what have you found out, L.G.? Blue Beetle paid a visit to Henley's yacht while I was talking with William Henley. Well, how did you get rid of him? He's bathing in the sound with a 50-pound anchor tied to his feet. Great heaven. Yes, he was in the way. Just as you're in my way, Professor Windrup. What, what do you mean? You're all through, Professor. You almost cleared our racket. I can't wait for the law to take its course. Besides, you might spill the beans. Oh, no. I'm I... taking no chances. No. I'm going to close your mouth right... Drop that John L.G. or I'll blast you with my magic ray. The Blue Beetle. Yes, the Blue Beetle. You must be a strong swimmer, Blue Beetle. I am, and I learned a few tricks from Houdini. Otherwise, I'd be lying at the bottom of the sound. Get him, Gherkin. Get him from behind. Oh, no, you don't. Not this time, Gherkin. The Blue Beetle's on the alert. And here's one for you, Professor Windrip. Murderers. Now I'll take that gun, L.G. Certainly, Blue Beetle. Here it is, right in the... <laughs> Just a little jujitsu. Now I've got the gun. What are you going to do? You've got nothing on me. Oh, no? I swam back to the yacht after I freed myself from the anchor rope and had a little talk with William. Was he surprised to see me? He's going to talk and talk plenty. He can't prove who killed John Henley. But the photographs Dan Garrett took at the seance can. What do you know about those photographs? The Blue Beetle knows everything. Now listen, Blue Beetle. Those photographs will never be shown at any trial. Pudgy has seen to that. What do you mean? Pudgy's my trigger man. I sent him to interview Dan Garrett's friend, Dr. Franz, the chemist. If the photographs are there, he'll get them or else. Open this door and I'll break it in. Well, Mr. L.G., the law's caught up with you. Your racket's smashed and you'll burn along with Professor Windrush. Not yet, I won't. I'll cheat the chair with this poison. No, you don't. The law's going to send you and the murderous Professor Windrip where you can't cause any more harm. All right, now, all right. Reach for the ceiling. Well, if it ain't the Blue Beetle, Professor Windrip and the Limey Servant, what a haul. 
And uh, who's this? That's L.G., the ringleader of the gang. He just tried to take poison, and I hit him. Here, Manigan, catch this gun. What? Well, okay, Blue Beetle. Sorry to leave so suddenly. Hey, wait a minute, Blue Beetle. You're under arrest. Well, hanged if the Blue Beetle didn't dive out of the window. Well, boys, slip the handcuffs on these babies and we'll take them along. I'll catch the Blue Beetle the next time. the Blue Beetle caught and turned over to the police several racketeers. But what about Doc Franz and the photograph? What has happened to them? Has Pudgy carried out the orders of his chief, the infamous LG? Let's hurry back to the little apothecary shop of Dr. Franz. Doc, Doc Franz, where are you? Hello, Danny. What's your hurry? Are you all right? Never felt better in my life. But, but the gunman... Did Pudgy... A rosy-cheeked, rather confident gentleman called earlier tonight. Uh, I was in my laboratory at the time. Yeah, well, well, what happened? He mentioned something about some photographs. It was rather insistent that I give them to him. Well, did he... Uh, Yes, yes, uh, he pointed a gun at me. What did you do? Squirted a syringe full of concentrated ammonia in his eyes. Good. Where is he now? I tied him up to keep him from playing with my chemicals in there. Oh, that's great. And the photographs are safe? Everything's under control. Ah, fine. Those photographs will convict Professor Windrup of young Henley's murder, and William's testimony will take care of L.G. Uh, what does L.G. stand for, Danny? Well, according to William, L.G. stands for live ghost, the man behind the spirit. Well, if you'll excuse me, Doc, I'm going to turn in. The Blue Beetles had a very busy night. were tied together, and another racket smashed, thanks to Dan Garrett, Mike Manigan, Dr. Franz, and the Blue Beetle. What new adventure awaits the Blue Beetle? This question will be answered in the next episode of the Blue Beetle. Now, here's the Blue Beetle himself to say a few words. The moral of this story is that there's no honor among thieves. In other words, never become associated with anyone in any endeavor or plan that is not absolutely straightforward. If you do, you can expect to be double-crossed or become the cat's paw or the fall guy. Remember to always look up, never down, and to associate only with those persons you can respect. The Blue Beetle is a copyrighted Fox feature appearing in Mystery Men Comics magazine and the Blue Beetle magazine. The Blue Beetle is on the air twice a week on this same station. Consult the broadcast schedule in your local newspapers. Don't forget to listen in to...
the Blue Beetle. Damon Runyon Theater. Once again, the Damon Runyon Theater brings you another story by the master storyteller, Damon Runyon. And this one, Blonde Mink. And to tell it to you, here is Broadway. Thanks. Well... One night I am sitting in Mindy's enjoying a late snack after a hard day of trying to make some bobs when who sits down beside me but Julie the Stalker. He looks at me for a minute, then says... Broadway, I see slats slaving today. You... You what? I see slats today. Julie, you are crazy. That is something you cannot do. Nevertheless, I do. Well, see you later. And with that, Julie gets up and walks away. He leaves me with a dill pickle stuck in my throat. Now, why his word should give me a cold chill and make me lose my appetite is something I will tell you about in a minute. And now, back to the Damon Runyon Theater and the famous story, Blonde Mink. Like I say, Julie gets up and walks away But I catch my breath and start after him I grab him just before he gets out the door And the scene is as follows There is something wrong, Broadway? I do not know yet But Julie, you are kidding me, huh? No, I tell you I see Slats today Julie, Slats is dead I know because I go to his funeral a week ago Oh, sure, I know he is dead but you see him today. Look, today I go to the cemetery, maybe to put a few posies in his grave, you know? If there is nobody around, only me. I am there maybe five minutes and thinking what a, what a great pal Slats is. Yeah, I know all that, Julie. He is a great guy, and we are all sorry he is no more. But that is neither here nor any place. What I want to know well, is... like I say, I am there maybe five minutes when, when I hear him talk to me. Slats? Yeah, sure. Who else knows me in the cemetery? Go on, talk some more. So he says hello, I say hello, and we talk. What about? Oh, about this and that, but mostly how cold he is. Truly, you are making me almost believe this. Why not? It is true. Well, I, I leave the cemetery, and I, I am not able to think of anything else but poor slats. I can understand this. Broadway, I, I love that guy like he is my brother. He is the only citizen who ever gives me a break when I am down and out. Yeah, I know, but he... The time I get knocked out in a ring by the tiger, remember? I'm in the hospital. Well, sure, but... Slats pays all the bills and then lets me live in his big apartment. I love the guy. Julie... I am practically a stranger to him then, but he does it because he wants to help me. Broadway, I love that guy. You talk like he is still alive. Oh, no. He is dead. But he is very cold. Well, I, I gotta go now. I, I got a lot of thinking to do. With that, Julie leaves me again. And this time I stay put 
because it be a night and more than somewhat dark, I have no wish to listen to more of that talk. Naturally, I figure that Julie has some loose boards, and I feel sorry for him. Well, I do not see him for about a week. Then one night, I am getting ready to leave my hotel room when I hear... Come in. Hello, Broadway. Oh, Julie, come on in. If you are going out, I will not bother you. Sit down. I, uh, I wonder what becomes of you after that uh, talk we have in Mindy's. Oh, I am hearing about, uh, mostly at the cemetery. Julie, look, you, you should not spend so much time there. It is coming on winter. Yeah, and... yeah, coming on winter. He's, he's cold, Broadway, awful cold. He tells me that all the time. I gotta do something for poor Slats. I just gotta. Julie, does anybody else see Slats? Oh, no, no, I go there alone. I see. Broadway, I gotta get some advice on what to do. About Slats? Yeah, and Beatrice. Beatrice? Oh, his girlfriend. Yeah, only she ain't a friend, Broadway. She ain't a friend. Maybe you better sit down and start talking. Yeah, I will. Now, go ahead. If it'll make you feel better, I will listen to you. Thanks. Slats will appreciate it, too. I would just as soon he thanks me through you. I will tell him. Thanks. Well, well, it is hard to know where to start, but... I think I will go back to the day that he first introduces me to Beatrice. I'm not in the apartment when he brings her there, but I get there a very short while after they do, and I'm about to open the door when I hear a doll laugh. <laughs> <laughs> go on, laugh some more, B. I like to hear it. Why? I don't know, maybe because I... Hiya, Slats. Oh. Uh, oh, didn't know you got company. Come on in, Julie, come on. I, I ain't going to stay only a minute. I was waiting I... for you. Uh, Julie, meet B. B, this is Julie. I told you about him. Oh, yeah. The the ex-prize fighter. Hiya. Fine, and you? Oh, making out. Just making out. Slats, I gotta go now. I got a rehearsal in an hour. Oh, sure. What about after the show tonight? <laughs> what about it? Supper, dancing. All right. The two of us. Huh? Sure. The two of us. Good. Now, I'll get a cab for you. No, I can do it. See you after the show. Nice to meet you, Julie. Yeah. They're here, too. Be back in a second, Julie. <laughs> Some doll, huh, Julie? Oh, yeah, look her. Quite a good-looking Judy. You like her? Yeah, sure. <laughs> You're a liar. Yeah. Maybe this one's different, Julie. Yeah, could be. Sooner or later, you gotta hit a winner. I got a hunch this is it. Sure. Oh, by the way, you win ten grand on the day. I huh? can pick them, huh? You're awful good at picking horses. Just horses, huh? <laughs> so? <laughs> no, I'm used to it. Sure. Okay, let's get to work and handicap a few GGs for tomorrow. Well, that is the way it starts, Broadway. You, you know something about it? Not much. All I know is that this bee is a very fancy doll. And very expensive. Yeah, yes, yeah, she is. And I guess you remember that slats and bee make it a very close twosome. Sure. Yeah, it goes on for maybe six, eight months. He's a good guy, Broadway. There ain't anything he does not do for her. I remember. In fact, there are several dolls around the stem here who give their ever-loving husbands a bad time when they point out how good Slats is to be. Yeah, but he is good to everybody. 
What about the rest of the story? Oh, sure. Yeah, I almost forgot. Let's see. Uh, I'm telling you that I meet B that night, and for six, eight months, there is nothing too good for her or too expensive. Well, it's one night, maybe about two, three in the morning. I'm in my room when I hear B and Slats come in. You see, they often come to the apartment after the show she is in, and I make scrambled eggs and bacon for them. But this night, well, I'm in bed with a cold. They come in, and... I don't, I don't want to listen, but I can't help it. Oh, now, be reasonable, honey. I told you why I can't do it. Sure, sure, you told me why, sure. <laughs> Come on, laugh for me. What at? Is there anything funny? <laughs> Man. Let me alone. Ah, B. Ah, B, B. <laughs> You're even prettier when you're sore. <sighs> Slats. Slats, honey, please. Please get it for me. Uh, I can't be. I really can't. Please, pretty, please. It's the one thing I really want, real bad. Well, you got five fur coats already. What's the difference if you don't get one more? But this is different. It's a blonde mink. Blonde, brunette, redhead. What's the difference? It's the only one I've seen like it. Oh, would the eyes pop out if I walked in with that coat on some night? Uh, Think of it, Slats. You and me walking into a nightclub. You'll have to wait to take that walk, honey. Why? You told me how much the coat costs. Only 23000 That's every cent I got. Oh, look, B. I haven't been hitting him too well for the last couple of weeks. Oh, but you will. Sure, sure. But until I get back in the wind, I've got obligations. Obligations? Yeah. The twenty-three grand I got will see me through. Just. Obligations. You said obligations. That's right. Like what? Uh, Different things. Sure. Obligations. Like that punch-drunk tramp you got living here, sopping up your money. Huh? And every wobbly on Broadway knows he can hit you for a touch anytime. Me, for the love of mine. Sure, go to Slats. He'll give you a hundred or a thousand. He won't even put it on the books. I can't even ask you for a measly fur coat. Measly? Yeah. If you had back half, even a third of the money you throw away on panhandlers and down and outers, I could have that coat. You don't understand, B. You're so right. I don't understand. Uh, and I ain't gonna try until you got better reasons uh, for putting me back of a lot of has-beens and punch front fighters. B, wait a minute. B for the lover. <coughs> B. B. Julie. Julie, you here? Julie, help me. Slatch, what's the matter? I don't know. I got. I got an awful funny feeling in my chest. Your face is all white. What? I got a. I gotta sit down. Yeah, yeah, you sure sit. Never had anything like this before. I... Gee, I better call a doc. Huh? No, no, no. Be all right. I didn't know you were here. I, I, I was sleeping. You, you woke me up when you yelled for me. Sleeping? Yeah, I do not hear you come in, Slats. <laughs> You're a liar. Yeah. B don't mean anything, Julie. She's a good kid, only spoiled. Hey, sure, that's all. Spoiled rotten. Yeah, I... Julie, I never had nothing like this before. Julie, I... I'm scared. Scared stiff. That is the story that Julie tells me, up to that point. But it is not the end. Not by far. And what happens after, I will tell you about in a minute. 
now back to the Damon Runyon Theater and the famous story, Blonde Mink. Like I say, Julie is telling me about Slats and B. I listen to him go on with the story as follows. I get Doc Brennan over real fast. Doc looks at Slats, then he he takes me aside and tells me that, that Slats is about ready for the long ride. I do not believe it. I understand why you do not. There is never anything wrong with Slats. Well, Doc Brennan says it is sudden excitement. Besides, I remember that Slats does a lot of worrying for a couple of weeks. Anyhow, the doc tells me, and when he goes, Slats calls me over to him, and he tells me to get Beatrice there real fast. I call her. She comes in maybe half hour later. She goes into him, but I stand right there outside the door. Oh? I do not do it to listen, but I figure if she gets him excited again, I will kill her. Yeah. Yeah, I see. What happens then? Like I say, I stand outside the door and I hear what goes on and it is like this. I came as soon as I get away, Slats. What what happened? <laughs> Chicka took a nosedive. Won't come back up. You you, you ain't gonna Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're crying. Slats. Let's don't, please don't. This is something I can't get for you, honey. This is something I can't fix. What'll I do, Slats? What'll I do? I'm going to tell you that. Now, listen to me. Get everything I say. All right. There's an envelope under my pillow. Get it out. Raise your head. Yeah. You got it? This? Uh-huh. There's 23 grand in there. Slats. Give... Give Julie two grand. Julie? Give him... Do it. Then go to Berry Brothers over in Brooklyn. Who are they? B. They got a stone made for me. Big fancy one. Only thing I ever bought for myself. I gotta be in style when they come out to... Lad, stop talking like that. Keep the rest of the dough for yourself. It'll come to about 19 grand. 19... Thousand, but it's a pretty fancy stone. Cost two grand. Didn't want to pay for it before because I figured that'd be cooks and what's here. That's all, baby. You better go now. Let's, let's please get out of here, big. Get out fast. Please. I said, get out of here now. Yeah. Yes, let's. Hurry it up, B, and don't look around. Julie, Julie, you'd better go in there. Yeah, I am. You going? Yeah, I'm going. He, he tell you anything? No, nothing. Uh-huh. What are you staring at, you tramp? Nothing. Just absolutely nothing. And go on in there. Go on in. And stop staring at me. So long. Slats. 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 That is the way he dies, Broadway. Yeah, yeah, I see. But uh, about the dough he gives B, what do you do about it? I go to see B one day, right after Slats is, well, 
the day after the funeral. I go to her place. It is a pretty ritzy apartment. At first, she does not want to see me, but I bust in anyway. All right, you're in. Now, what do you want? I've got a rehearsal in 20 minutes. I will not take up too much time, B. <laughs> I know you won't. Go on, make it fast, will you? Sure, I want to know what about the dough. Dough? What dough? 23 grand. <laughs> You're on a long, big dream, Julie. <laughs> uh-uh, I hear slats give it to you. So you can hear through those cauliflowers. All I want is to know what about the dough. <laughs> there ain't any. You are lying. If you're not out of here in ten seconds, I'll have you tossed out. I hear Slats tell you to pay for his marker. You're crazy. You took so many punches, you don't I know... can also still give him. You wouldn't try it. No. No, I guess I would. Slats would not like it. I would never do anything Slats does not like. Get out of here. I am telling you, I do not care for the two grand he gives you for me. <laughs> I do not care for it. All I want is for you to buy that marker for Slats. He is expecting it. <laughs> You talk like he's alive. I see him. You... <laughs> you... <laughs> it is not funny. <laughs> Did you tell anybody else you saw Slats? <laughs> yeah. Why? <laughs> Did you tell anybody else about, about the money? <laughs> no. Why? <laughs> tell everybody. See if they'll listen to you. Tell them you saw Slats and about the money. You think they'll believe you? <laughs> I am warning you, B. If you do not get that marker for Slats, I'll do something about it. But first I will ask Slats. That is what happens when I go to see her. Julie, you are sure that Slats gives her the money? You, you do not believe me? Well... I see. Maybe she is right about people thinking I am crazy. No, no, I do not think that. Only... Only what? Nothing. Just... Nothing. Uh-huh. Well... Well, I will go now because I promised Slats I will see him again tonight. So long, Broadway. Uh, so long, Julie. Do you wish me to say hello to him for you? Oh, please do. He always likes you. Maybe he will come to see you. I am thinking of moving from here. Oh? Well, you will give me your new address and I will tell him. So long. Well, I do not see Julie for maybe another week. I almost forget about the whole thing. Until one night I am sitting in Mindy's when I am joined by Johnny Brannigan, who is a plainclothes copper. And the scene is as follows. Hello, Broadway. Oh, how are you, Johnny? Pretty good. Mind if I sit down? Well. <laughs> I know. It wouldn't look good for you to be seen with a cop. No, it is not that. It is that. But I'll sit down. You uh, have something on your mind? Uh-huh. What are you eating? Blinters. Uh, too rich for me late at night. Is this to be a discussion of foods? Not altogether, Broadway. You know a girl named Beatrice Jordan? I know of her. Slat Slavin's girl, wasn't she? I believe they have an understanding. Mm -hmm. What else do you know about it? Nothing. Nothing at all, Johnny. I see. You uh, like sour cream on blintzes? And jelly. Sure. Well, it seems this Beatrice is running around lately with a young fellow from Colorado. Mm, she gets around. Mm-hmm. And it seems his family carries more weight than Pike's Peak. So I get a call from Colorado to keep an eye on the boy and Beatrice. I never have anything to do with her. I know nothing about her, except that she is one Slats' girlfriend. Okay. I thought maybe because you get around a lot, you could tell whether she's on the level or not. I gotta turn in a report, you know. Oh, sure. 
Those blintzes sure look good. Oh, they are. Uh, uh, Johnny. Yeah? I cannot tell you if B is on the level with this citizen from Colorado. Oh? So? But I do know that her idea of a level is more than somewhat uneven. Uh-huh. Well, thanks, Broadway. Yeah, it is all right, Johnny. Drop around the house some night, Broadway. My wife makes wonderful blintzes. Now, all this talk makes me more than somewhat curious. However, it is none of my business, except for Julie. But I do not see him for some time. In fact, it is two days later before I even hear anything. Then it is Johnny Brannigan who comes to see me in my hotel room. And the scene is as follows. Broadway, two days ago, I asked you for a line on Beatrice Jordan. I remember. I had the feeling then that you could tell me a few things about her that you were holding back. I am not a stoolie, Johnny. Anyhow, I tell you all I know, which adds up to zero. Sure. Broadway, I have worries. Lots of them. Eh? What brings him on? Where's Julie? Julie? I do not see him for two days. Uh-huh. Broadway, I gotta find him and ask him a few questions. I do not think he will talk, Johnny. I gotta ask him anyway. Know where he is? What if I tell you? I told you. Just a few questions. That all? What else? Hmm. You, uh, look for him where he lives? Uh Uh-huh. Landlady said he didn't come home at all last night. Oh. Now, I know he comes here to see you. So I figured you might know where he is now. At the cemetery. What? He goes there to see slats. What? That's what he tells me. I see. Well, how'd you like to go along with me? What for? Maybe he'd rather talk to you than to a cop. About what, Johnny? About B. She was killed last night. I stare at Johnny. He just looks back at me. There is a big hole that is once my stomach. And I feel like a first-class heel if I tell him where Julie might be. But I can do nothing. Johnny is very gentle when he insists I go with him, so I do. And what happens when we get to the cemetery... I will not forget if I live long enough to see Harry the Horse shake hands with the police commissioner. And I will tell you about it in a minute. We get to the cemetery... And it is coming on a very dark night. And it is cold with snow on the ground. I do not mind telling you that I have a hard time keeping my hair from pushing my hat off of my head. Then I hear Johnny talking to me. We're near the place now, Broadway? Yeah, 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 just ahead. But look, Johnny... It's all right, Broadway. I won't hurt him. I just want to ask him some questions. If he's like you say, he'll be all right. I hope so. I hope so. Shh. Look. That is Julie. Who's he talking to? Slats. Cut it out. Who is that? Answer him, Broadway. Me? Go on. Who is that? Julie. It, it is Broadway. Oh, oh, swell. And Slats is here, Broadway. He will be glad to see you. Julie, it is very cold out here. Maybe you better come back to town with me. Oh, come on and say hello to Slats. Then I will go with you. 
Go ahead. Okay, Julie. It, there was somebody with you. Huh? I, I see somebody's shadow. That's right, Julie. It's me, Johnny Brannigan. Johnny. A cop. A cop, Ron. Will you bring a cop? It's all right, Julie. We're coming over to talk with you. Please do not do that, Johnny. Broadway, ask him, please not to. Johnny, do not go over there. I've got to. I want to talk to Slats, too, Julie. Please do not come closer, Johnny. I know what you are here for. Just ask a few questions. No, no. Julie, please take it easy. Everything is all right. Stay away. Julie, drop that gun. Drop it. No, I do what is right. I do what Slats tells me to. Julie, drop that gun. Broadway, drop that gun. I will hit you the next time, Johnny. Julie, please. I'll forget you fired at me if you'll only drop that gun. No. Johnny, you hit? Arm. Julie, even now I won't say anything about the gun. Please. Julie, everything is all right. I know. I make it all right. But I'm not going with you. Johnny, what happens? I, I, I think I winged him. Come on. Johnny, you shoot awful good. This is one time I didn't mean to. He uh, moved fast to one side. Sure. I know, Johnny. I better put in a call and find out. Broadway. Look. Huh? At what? What's that? Spread over Slat's grave. It looks like something to keep Slats warm. I think they call it blonde mink. And so ends the famous Damon Runyon story, Blonde Mink. Listen in again next week for... The Damon Runyon Theater. Damon Runyon Theater with John Brown as Broadway is directed by Richard Sandville and the stories adapted for radio by Russell Hughes. Vern Carstensen is in charge of production. This is a Mayfair production. That's it for the Relic Radio Show for this week. There's more old-time radio coming to you tomorrow at relicradio.com. But in the meantime, you can find more from the Blue Beetle Damon Runyon Theater, past episodes of the Relic Radio Show, and all of the other podcasts at relicradio.com. You'll find our Shoutcast stream there as well. And if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Your support makes all of this happen. Thanks, as always, to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back tomorrow with Case Closed and next Tuesday with another episode of the Relic Radio Show.